I'm Reggie, this is Brian, and this is R&B Talks. Hi again, everybody. This is episode three. That's right, three? Three. three. Got it. I think it's right. three. Yeah, three. Oh, well, it would be four. Yes. But we messed up three. We Our did. Brain, we, this is three B. This, yeah, this is three beta, right? This is the, the Round next. two. Yeah. Okay. So, like, EP three. There you go. Dash two. I like it. We're not going to put it yeah, I hope not. Do it. It's confusing enough to find us on YouTube right now. <laughs> so, Reggie, your week, sir. How was it? It's been good, though, dude. It's been good. Like getting so much done. Yeah, I'm trying to. It's like when you try to distill the importance of like work to your kids, right? Mm-hmm. And yet you don't do that yourself. It'll never happen. But uh, like I tell, I told my daughter, we had this conversation the other day, seven years old. And I'm like, Hey, (laughs) you know, work's important and you're always going to have to work doing something. I mean, even the stuff you don't get paid for, there's a lot of work to do no matter just, just to live. Yeah. We're fortunate enough as it is this time in this era that we can have free time. Cause that used to never be a thing (laughs) when you were like, you know, uh, hunter gatherer type of people. But, I told her, I was like, you know, there's, there's a fulfillment and there's like, it makes you feel good when you get something accomplished. Yes. It's really important to understand that, to learn it, to nurture it and to like encourage that. Um, even at that early age, I think we lost it over COVID. Um, I over COVID hated not working. I love the time I spent with my family. Don't get me wrong. I got three uninterrupted months with my kids and my wife, and we got back to basics on a lot of things. But there were a lot of days I woke up and I was like, dude, I feel like I should be doing more. And there's only little, so many little tiny projects you can do around the house to keep yourself busy, right? Like there's only so many light switch covers you can replace and light bulbs you can pull in and out and, you know, other things that you can fix and repair. And and then you run out and then you're literally stuck with not a whole lot. I don't think that I, I, I talk a lot about the concept of retirement, but I honestly could never see myself being fully retired, man. I don't know. Like I, I, I naturally tend to be okay. I'll say this. My natural unlearned self is like lazy, completely lazy. doesn't want to do anything, but over the years, like one, one, quality that I've like worked hard to change is that. So like my work ethic is now really central to who I am. Yeah. Right. Yep. And, and, and so I real and I, I still, I still know when I'm like, there, there's that part of me that's like, nah, just sit down, dude, you're good. And I'm like, no. And, it, but I'm, but I've worked so much at changing that so that I don't have to worry about that. So, so I guess for me, retirement, there's a part of me. that's like, yeah, man, you need to like just chill in the, but the the me that is like who i've molded into says i would never i don't want to ever do that yeah yeah. (laughs) my biggest problem is when sitting still i feel entitled and then when i'm done sitting still i feel guilty for sitting still right i'm like golly i burned an hour i could have done this but i truly do believe that there are times when you just gotta 
you know, pump the brake for a second, right? Well, yeah, dude. I mean, look, there's a reason why in the, like throughout the whole text of the canon in, in our scripture, there's a rest is important. Yes. You know, and it's, it's, it's modeled in, even in the creation of the whole universe is how he did that. I mean, there's, there's a definite time to rest and look, I, I don't, my wife and her family are like industrious people. They're like mm-hmm. the most industrious type of people I've ever seen. To be honest, they, they her parents like never stop. They, they always go. And it, I mean, it doesn't really matter. And, and she's like that. She doesn't want to stop. And then when she does stop, she feels guilty for it or something. I'm like, whoa, you gotta, uh, uh-uh. uh. And I tell her all the time, like, I can see this right now that. In like two hours, you're just going to have like be no good to anybody. And that means I got to buy supper out now or I got to get something delivered or whatever. Yeah. So you better stop now, take a break so that you can make something so we don't have to buy anything and we don't have to go out to eat or whatever. You know, that that happens all the time. <laughs> happens yeah. All the time. No, we don't do that. <laughs> I don't, we don't eat out very often at all, honestly, anymore. Honestly, the quality of food is taking a noser, in my opinion. Like it's. Well, you don't, you know, try, we try not to eat fast food either i mean if you fast food i mean that is i don't even know if that it's the lowest common denominator of sustenance food anymore (laughs) you know but yeah i don't know i had a interesting interesting times with my daughter though lately man it's like her her being on the autistic spectrum you you have to really think about how you parent yeah because it's not just you you normally like I have a first reaction as as a dad to go okay I need this is what I'm going to do but I have to stop myself because I'm like okay wait <laughs> is that too much is is this she didn't understand what I was saying is this you know so there's like a whole bunch of questions I have to ask myself for anything yeah. so it's been it's really challenging um, because there there's so many things that her brain just does not do the same that you would expect right yeah. so. And I, I'm grateful that she's, you know, if you didn't know um, she was on the spectrum, you wouldn't, probably wouldn't tell because she's that high functioning of a autistic, aut- autism spectrum, whatever thing. Um, but there are, there, you know, there are times when you're like, okay, yeah, that's true. But anyway, anyway, I digress, but that's kind of what we're talking about today. Yeah. Um, Fatherhood. Being a dad. Being a pap. Pops. Whatever you want to call it, man fatherhood okay so in studying this reggie uh, let's just jump right in up to our hips in this one i saw a very interesting article this article this week that said the the rise in crime the rise in the rise in poverty are all directly connected to fatherlessness Hmm. but yet i see our colleagues on the left constantly screaming that father is a fluid term yes so this bodes my first question my friend is fatherhood a learned behavior or is it instinctual in us okay it's both i agree it has to be both where how have we functioned as a species for thousands of years if it's not both i mean look we're we're not <laughs> it hasn't been that long ago before we were really reading and writing i mean you know yeah. we're talking in the span of what 
what some would call millennia's, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's, it's, it's ridiculous to say that it, it's not instinctual at all, or it's all learned or it's none, it's all instant, you know, no, it's both. It has to be both. We wouldn't exist as a species. If not, I don't, I don't okay. think, I don't think you could propose something like that. I think it's both. Okay. Why do you but think, I think it's, both, it's Brian? Well, but I have a caveat. I think the instinctual part is stronger, and here's why. Given my background, I grew up with men in my life, but no real father figures, right? Yeah. My dad was gone most of the time. Um, and yet I still had that natural instinct when I was married and my kids were there to provide and do all of the things that needed to be done, even though I didn't have great role models for that, right? Um, my grandfather was a good man. But he was old school, like he didn't tie in to that whole leading leading by action. It was do what I say, when I say it, how I say it. I don't need to explain to you why, right? And we all we all had those generations, right? You know. And I and I don't regret it. He was like I said, he was a good man. He he took me in. Um but I think it's more instinctual. And what I mean by that is I think we're built by God to be fathers. And that's why I think a lot of men who are don't have kids and may marry into someone who has children, like with your example, Reggie, you married and you, you inherited a teenage son, but you immediately took to that father role. You weren't trained on what to do with a 14, 15, 16 year old kid. But I think there are Mm -hmm. instincts that God puts within us that are a compass for that. But but I I will say to that though, it it is very different to to come into a a father role in that scenario like like when I was a when, um married my wife she has a son now it's mine then it is when you have one born okay there is is there there is it is a difference and I'm telling you from a guy who's done both the the you know, now my son, even though he wasn't born of my genetic code, I mean, I, I actually told him before we got, before I married his mom, I was like, I, I had to talk to him. He was 12 years old. I'm like, man, look, I'm marrying your mom. And I know this is a big deal. You've been with your, you know, whatever, but I can't do this halfway. I said, I can't just be like a good buddy or, um, you know, or, or just Part-time a, a Florida frig or whatever. I, I need to be your dad if this is going to work. And he didn't have a dad. He had a father figures, but he didn't have a dad. And uh, he met it with open wars. He goes, well, yeah, I'd really like that, you know, because, you know, I think you could be. And he called me dad from there on. Like, it, yeah. it, would, it never fluctuated. It was dad. <laughs> yeah. Probably and still calls you dad today. He, oh, yeah, definitely. But 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 it was hard. Um, that, that, that was that was hard, dude. I mean, to try to figure out, cause that was learned. I don't think I had it. I mean, okay. You could say there's at, and we can talk about the attributes of a father, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the, when you get thrown into that, you're learning on the way. Cause it's, there's nothing you're going to read. There's nothing you're going to watch. There's nothing you're going to do that's going to prepare you to be a dad in, in fully, right? You can know, well, they're going to have, this type of stuff and people have had good success with this kind of a disciplinary thing and this, this system of parenting and this, this, this. Nah, you ain't gonna, you ain't gonna know until you freaking 
become a dad. And then all of a sudden, now you're like, ooh, this is harder than I thought. But so there was a lot of learning for that one. Yeah. But there was a, there, there's something when, like when my first daughter was born, though, that is, there, just, there was just something different there, right? It, there was an immediate, like, whoa thing, you know, that, 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 that whole spark at the beginning is different. Yeah. Right. So the, I think, because, I still had to learn, but I'm just saying, I think you, you, it's more evident. I'll say this. It's more evident. The instinctual versus learned between a step child and a, and your natural born child. There, there is, you can clearly like understand and realize those two differences in those children. You don't treat them, you know, I, I think a lot of people would maybe condense that down and say, well, you're treating your kids differently. No, I'm just saying. There was a, there's a difference in the starting point yeah. and you learn more with one and you're instinctual more with the other, but in the end you kind of get them, they're in, kind of get in line. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think with one, you probably, you know, the scaffolding, the frame was built. You just had to help him refine things with your daughters. You're starting from the ground up. Yeah. You're starting at the foundation. Um, you know, and I know this the fatherlessness, it's just stuck with me since I read this article. It's a very interesting article. Um, being someone who was brought up without his, I made a lot of decisions as a younger man, and I can look back on them. And if I would have had someone there who was invested, a lot of those decisions may have been different. So speaking firsthand, yes, I think fatherlessness has it tremendous impact on young men and women all over the place. Do you think that that's because the, the role of the father is kind of like they've taken the, for lack of a better term, they've made the role of a father non-binary in the sense that no. they think that a woman or a man, now I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about society that, that a woman or man both can be a father and a mother. I feel like there's a lot of ambiguous arguments and statements. And it's not to say that a single mother can't raise a child or a single father can't raise a child. But my question is, you know, okay. The, the, the difference in ideologies, people are picking the science to support their arguments. Okay. Sure. Yeah. And, when I looked at all kinds of things, I looked at both sides like, okay, who, what does the traditional parenting role type of uh, ideologue, where are they getting their information and stuff? And then you look at, okay, who, where's the postmodern, uh, inclusive, you know, that side of the coin, where are they getting their science from kind of stuff? Yeah. And, I can, I, I am not a scientist and, 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 but, but I love science. <laughs> I always have. And I, I, I guess I'm just, a, I'm just struck by the amount of science that isn't science being done. Yes. Especially when it comes to things like gender or uh, 
parenting roles or, or the, really the whole psychological field right now, I feel like, like you, you, the, the research and the science comes from a place where it's just bizarre. Well, I think a lot of it is not science or psychiatry. It's sociological, which flies directly in the face of, of fact, right? Like the sociological standpoint on something can be completely non-factual and completely based in feelings. And will rail against fact, even though the sociological has no science behind it, right? I believe that I'm like you. I want science. Talk to me about it. But I also am, as a Christian man, as are you, I believe that we were given the best role model. Forgiveness, patience, peace, kindness, love, all those things. Um, discipline, because we all know that God disciplined when necessary and, you know, did what he could to keep his people with him and in line, you know? Um, but for me, you know, I feel like that's probably a discussion that needs to be had at a later time, you know, subcategories, as we've said before, this is, we're just, you know, skimming the surface, but yeah, I think that's a very interesting question is, you know, like, I believe that womanhood is being, you know, um, adopted, by certain people and being co-opted by certain people. I also think that along with that, because of the confusion, right? If you are a man that thinks you're a woman or your woman thinks you're a man, do you change roles in that situation? And, and I don't believe you can because I don't believe a woman has an instinct to be a father and a father has an instinct to be a mother, right? I don't think those two things cross. So I feel like that's probably got a lot to do or part, well, at least part parcel to, the current situation of fathers not being present in the home. But I digress. Well, we'll take a step back though, because okay. part of the, part of the stuff I read this week and I, I, um, one of the things I latched onto was a, uh, Jordan Peterson podcast that was entitled the absolute necessity of fathers. Mm -hmm. So by the it. title, you can guess that that was about, Yes. All about father, but I, I think the coolest thing was his guest he had on. Uh, I found him fascinating. Was Warren Farrell, and so so and and this is why I think this is he's 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 really critical to this topic. Warren Farrell was he was doing his doctoral work during the '60s and during the mm -hmm. women's rights movements and stuff. And he jumped on that. Actually, he did a lot of work for the women's rights. It was even on the board of now and uh, some other things. And um, he was fully behind, you know, that whole, the, the origination point. And what he said was in the seventies, though, you could tell there was a mark, a marketably success behind the, the, that movement. And you could, you saw things changing and everything else, but it started going into a weird and different direction. Okay, and this is what he talked about was that the, fem the the feminism movement out of that came out of that was really from a, talking about freedom for the the mother, freedom for the wife kind of thing, mm -hmm. and that was overshadowing the importance of the role in parent the parenting of the of the child. Like it was, he was talking about how divorce rates skyrocketed, and like 
you know, you, you had all these systems and stuff being put in place where the woman has the primary is with the child and all that stuff. So it, it was her choice to leave the husband and she could find some other guy. And then if that guy wanted to move to another state, she could just take the kid away from their dad and just go move with this other guy. Right. And that's, yeah. that's what happened because of all this, this feminist movement stuff that pushed everything to there. He argued about there was some, there was some importance to the child in those scenarios that, you had to look at it. it was their choice to have a kid, their choice to be parents, and that you can't just forsake the father for the you know and and for the sake of freedom because you you already chose to be a parent. So mm-hmm. there's already this dual parent thing. Anyway, but so so what I would say is like the 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 fatherlessness today is it is tied to the feminist movement and how they've pushed farther and farther to empowerment and freedom rather than responsibility um, and duty and stuff like that, that, that there is contained in being um, a, a woman and a, and a mother, especially. And there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things that you can, that they've been able to discern statistically that I think and and where they get the statistics was even important, like all over the place. It was like poor income. It was like good income. There was a bad neighborhood, poor neighborhood. It, it didn't, it didn't matter where the, the family units were that they studied the same results were coming out about what happens when the father is not involved or is not around. Okay. <laughs> so to answer your question, like I think, why we see fatherlessness is such, it's like, it, it, it's, I don't think the gender ideology stuff, I'm sure that's going to impact it going forward. But I think from where we're seeing and where we can get data from now, like, even if you go back just a couple of years, it's, it's really birth from that. Like the, the, it's the, it's that outcome of the feminist movement pushing more freedom and stuff and the men. Also, in that aspect, as a result of that and not having as many fathers, also pulling back from their responsibilities and stuff, too. Okay. I like that answer. It's a good answer. Um, so, Reggie, let's talk about the world's view of a father and our mm. view as a father. Well, hold on. Right? Uh-oh. He's got something. Since we're talking about this, let's say, let's say like... The research shows why the father is important. Well, so, so why and why is the father important, and what's the ramifications when he's not around? Well, look at the statistics. I ran over this in the article that I read. Um, poverty doubled. High school dropout percentage: fifty percent more likely to drop out of high school. Fifty um, percent more likely to commit a felony crime. I mean, there's some statistics out there that are that show you the direct impact, right? Um, so if you're looking for, you know, the cause and effect of it, I mean, the, the, the statistics, the facts don't lie. The studies don't lie. And these are not, you know, weighted studies. There's not a gang of dads out there paying people to take studies, right? These are real studies that were done. It talks about... Um, the, the the rate of alcoholism, the rate of drug abuse, the rate of um, young men committing misdemeanor and sometimes felony sexual crimes, right? All of these things raise when the father's not in the house. Now, yes. what is the 
impact of the father in this situation. It's the role model. Uh, you know, without a father, I was basically a feral cat. Just to be, I mean, just being completely honest, I came and went as I pleased. I did whatever I wanted. I really didn't have any boundaries outside of, you know, don't burn the house down. Right. So, um, because I didn't have any male role models there and the men that my mother would align herself with were far from role models, right? They were, they wanted to be my buddy. They didn't want to help me learn, grow, develop in any way. So, um, there's a direct correlation between those two things. And that's, you know, the obvious rise in statistics for all of the things that we, that I just said, but connected to it is the absence of the father, the absence of the role model, the absence of the guy that gets up every morning and goes to work, come home since comes home and spends time with his family. That, that guy is becoming extinct. Um, and, and let's be clear. I don't, I don't blame that all on feminism. I, I blame a good portion of it on that, but also put a good portion of it on this whole kind of snowflake theory right? Well, you're special. So you don't have to do what everybody else does. Uh, I'm not so <laughs> sure I buy that. <laughs> you know. Well, so in this, in the same podcast, he lays out exactly what this does in his yeah. research that he shows it. Now, keep in mind, this guy is dedicated solely to this dead de decades. And he's written all kinds of books that are well-researched. He, he, he's, you know, it's not like this. Um, and I'll get to the opposing view in a minute, but Fatherhood.org also had like a lot of stuff on it, right? Mm -hmm. That was backed by, there was like 18 point something million kids that were, or million families without a dad or something crazy like that. But also they, they had a whole, I can give you this infographic, but it was like four times if without a dad, without mm -hmm. a father, four, your, the kid is four times greater risk of poverty, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen, more likely to have behavioral problems. Face abuse, ten, two times more risk of infant mortality, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol to go to prison, tw twice as likely to go to suffer obesity, more likely to commit crime, two times more likely to drop out of high school. And then, and Warren took it even further because he was talking about, um, more likely to, if, if, if the father's in the, in the, so let's talk about that. That's without, with the dad. You're far more likely, the kid is far more likely to uh, experience postponed gratification. So they'll, they learn postponed gratification far more when the dad's around. And there's, that's huge, by the way. That's like a really huge thing. Um, the children are more likely to be assertive, not mm -hmm. really, not aggressive, no, so much, but they learn aggressive versus assertive when the yeah. dad's around. They're more, more likely to be empathetic. When the dad, and you would think that's not the case, but he goes, it's clear, um, not to deal with depression. So the kid, when the father's around is, is far more likely to not have to deal with depression, but, and, and also far more likely to not be addicted to things. And he's, and he quoted a couple of them specifically was like video game addiction and like the in porn addiction was a, was a huge one when you don't have a dad around. Um, and, and, and especially like, and he, he made it a point. He was like, when they did these extensive studies, income didn't matter. Neighborhoods didn't matter. <laughs> None of that mattered. It was the same across the board. So what, what I guess, and, and here's, here's what, here's what I've 
what I found too. Okay. So you read all this and you're like, well, that sounds pretty definitive, right? You know, you have all this and then you're like, well, what's the, the other side of the coin? And I didn't see any. Okay. So let me, let me say this. I looked a bunch and, and I, I kind of ended up focusing on this, a search I did because I think it centered around their point of view was how to be a feminist dad. Mm. Right. Mm. And so when you, when I was reading this, it, it was really, I don't know, man. I, I was just like, I got tired. I'm, I'll be flat honest. I just got tired. It was uh, the particular one. And I'll actually post it down in the description, but it was like from the psychology today. Um, Jordan Shapiro is who wrote it. Uh, he's a, uh, he teaches at Temple University, I think is what it said, but I'll, I'll quote him. Here's a key thing. The image of the good dad is not permanent or fixed. It's not even longstanding. It's constantly changing. Okay. Why? I don't understand. I mean, he tries to explain it, but in his rationale, it, it a good dad's a good dad. I mean, I don't. So another word, gender specific parenting roles are leftover Freudian fallacies constructed to maintain and reinforce patriarchal norms. That's a quote. And a key point to what he was saying, it's even in the top and bold. Wow. I could pull, poke like a hundred yeah. holes in that. Right? Here's another one. Okay. Society constantly sends signals that set behavioral expectations for children many of which are tethered to problematic gender ideologies, end quote. <sighs> yeah, you're going to have to break that one down for me because that seems – I had the first half, but when you got to the second half, it just went to nonsense. I, okay, here's what, here's what I get, and, and I'm just speaking from my own reading between the lines and like just trying to apply logic mm -hmm. to things. You have, you have one side of the – I don't know, scientific community who, who is still endeavoring to do science and they're still basing that on true, you know, experimentation and analysis and, you know, the results can be, are just where they land. Mm -hmm. And then you got this other sect of science, the scientific community who is like t solely from a propaganda agenda perspective. Like they seek and just that's all they do is try to they start from that perspective and they just further try to enhance it through all kinds of different ways. But their data gets misconstrued because of this starting point of where we have to meet this, you know, certain ideologue. Yeah. Well, it's whoever's paying for the study, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I mean, look at it. You can look at it from this perspective. And, and this is something I have never understood. Um, how is it bad to be dependable, caring, disciplined, willing to be there? You know, this whole, this whole, um, hodgepodge of gender ideology and, and the things that are going on that are causing this confusion it's, it's smoke and mirrors. You're just, you're just 
the right hand shaking so you don't see what the left one's doing, right? So, um, but the thing that shocks me even more, and in the statement you just read, is the absence of facts in its entirety. He right? gave, uh, uh, that's why I'm putting in the in the description. You can read it if you want to, because I, I, mean, I it's so hard for me to explain it because I don't I don't get it, and not that I don't understand what he's saying. It's just like the the premise and like his conclusion and like the the way you get there is just not accurate and intellectual in my in, in it's it's a i'm a modern uh university professor who's bought into this whole ideology of nonsense and and so it's hard for it is hard for me to like extrapolate some of it and put it into there but when I'm, I'm telling you, man, when I'm reading, and, and this is just one example, okay? The, the, I, I wrote down this one because he was a professor at Temple University. Mm-hmm. It was 2022 when this was written. It's very late, but there's all kinds of the same. This is the same stuff. You get article after article after article. It's the same kind of thing because they say, here's here's his eight ways. I'll, let me His eight ways to be a feminist dad. Okay. Man up to feminism. That means you got to, you know, there's gender equity involved, right? Okay. You got to make sure all that's, you know, look, you're there. Smash the patriarchy is what he said. The the structural injustice of the dad as a leader. Yeah, that's that's the injustice, right? The dad as a leader, that, no, you can't do that. It's a tough word, injustice. Don't, well, I don't think I quote, I think that's me saying what he meant by that. But okay. Don't be a coward. That means he's just saying you're threatened by feminism and you refuse to, like, absorb it and live it, you know? So you you should be a diehard feminist. And one thing he said was, he said, be the troll under the bridge. Uh, And I think the dad should put his own, like, stuff aside. Um, It's more important to play supporting roles well or something. It was weird. It was really bizarre how he was, because that's contrary to any kind of person who does really well in life. But, you know, know that the father doesn't necessarily know what's best. So it's like, you know, you don't, as a dad, you don't always know. And I I mean, okay, I kind of, okay, sure. But what he did say that was on, on this same thing, he qualifies that by saying that, like, you should witness, listen, and support your child's unique journey instead of being this lead, you know, of knowing best. And so here's what this is going at. Let your child make your own decisions and like, let them do whatever they want when they're kids. And that's totally contrary to what you're supposed to do as a parent. Yeah. It's totally contrary to science as well. I mean, the the human brain, it shows that in a woman, it's around 21, 22 years old in a male, it's around 24, 25 that they actually mature to a point where, I mean, you, you and I were both 20 years old. I was no smarter at 20 than I was at 18. I just was better at hiding it. <laughs> so I, I think this whole, again, here we are. Feelings, not facts, man. That's all I can say. Feelings, not it's facts. Not, I mean, look, it, it, another, uh, his, here, we're not done with eight ways yet. And it's still ridiculous. Holy smokes. No. Redistribute household labor. So why he made this a key point of this, I have no idea. Like, why is household labor part of anything? I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I just, 
if so many people have tried, I don't understand how this is such a hurdle for people to get past household labor. I, I don't, I don't know personally a single male or female that doesn't help when they can. I, yeah. I guess I, I don't, I don't know these people at all. I don't either. Now that's not, now let's be real. That's not to say that there aren't some lazy people out there. Right. But um, I think the reason why that gets hooked in, man, is it's stapled directly to the quote unquote patriarchy um, feminists and male feminists, which just honestly, I find male feminism, honestly, a little creepy. Um, because I mean, why are you doing it? You're not doing it because you are feminine. I think you're doing it honestly to impress a girl. <laughs> it's really, it's honestly what I believe. But anyway, I think, I think this whole thing of, 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 uh, domestic, uh, services or domestic work that's done is stapled to this slave mentality that is, uh, been imagined up against the patriarchy, which I would assume would be you and I, Reggie. Um, I hang my clothes up just like my wife hangs her clothes up. Uh, if the toilet needs to be cleaned and nobody else is doing it, I'll clean it. The, the, but again, it goes to this thing where um, we they make things up. Like they, they, they position things for buzzwords. This is where I love a spirit of discernment and where you and I, I think you and I are very strong in our spirit of discernment, right? I would say so. And, and I think the, the loss here is, is in the lie, right? The loss is not in what's being said because anybody can say nonsense and pretend they mean it, right? But when the statement is obviously nonsensical, such as that one, um, redisperse the household duties. What does that even mean? Yeah, I mean, what, what, where, where? Okay, so let's say, all right, I'm going to give them a little bit of credit. Let's say the big bad ghost of the patriarchy is a problem. Is changing household chores going to solve the big bad patriarchy problem, or is that just more misdirection? Right? It's just, it's. <clears throat> look, I, I, I think I when when I read it, I he he does explain how that sets. An example to your children to further demolish the gender roles. That's what this, that's for is to say, you know, that's what it is. I mean, in, in another way that he even calls out, even goes further, he says, you got to practice, uh, what do you say? Extreme inclusivity or something like that, which is just pretty much saying in order to be a feminist dad, you have to, you know, be inclusive to everything and it just doesn't that doesn't make sense and i mean i'm using everything he doesn't say he, he does he's more specific than that but it's still <laughs> a, a broad door the the problem is those that those things okay those eight things from our our friend jordan shapiro here <laughs> don't explain the the data that you get from those who grow up without fathers like none of that does. None of that explains anything to do with why that is. Matter of fact, it's the opposite because if fathers are doing their traditional roles and they, they statistically do better, then why, what does this solve? What is this trying to do then? It's, it's trying to fulfill an agenda. Yeah. That's what this is doing. Cause one of the key things that, uh, 
Warren Farrell points out in that podcast was like rough and tumble play. And Jordan Peterson's actually pointed this out too. Yeah. Rough and tumble play is critical for a child and the dad. It, the, it forms a bond. It helps, it helps align with learning the assertive versus the aggressive. It, it sets boundaries. It's, it's something that is the child wants to do anyway. And it allows you to have one way to help them learn how to postpone gratification again. Postponing gratification is critical in learning how to um, deal with disappointment, deal with failure. It's critical. Deal with male female relationships. Yeah. Well, that's the point, especially the porn thing. That's what he was, he, he talked about. He's like, you have overachievers people in high school, right? And he, he gave an example of like, you know, some, the, the, who, who is the popular pretty girls want to go, where do they, who do they want to go out with usually? The quarterbacks, the presidents of the student council is exactly what he said or something like that. They don't, they're not looking at, you know, and, and all the other, you know, if you're like this narcissistic or inward boy who's been brought up without learning all this stuff, then if you get turned down by these, you're, you can't deal with that, that rejection. And then you re, you escape into porn. Yeah. Uh, so here, here's the deal, man. I, I'm going to, I'm going to say this really <laughs> really clear the f- the feminist movement that we know today is bullshit <laughs> i so love doing a podcast with you please expound <laughs> sir please expound because it you can like stories like warren farrell yeah who Say, well, what about the kids? Well, don't they matter too? And it's like, well, no, we need to, you know, freedom and empowerment is all we care about. Yeah. No, stick that up. No, your kid, your kid's important. You, you chose to have a kid. Well, let's, let's see what's important to the kid. You know, the, the push for <sighs> equality, like equality in itself is BS anyway. Like the life does not equate to equality. Like you can look at, here's one of my favorite, here's one, look at Instagram, Instagram. One of my favorite things on Instagram look at is nature is metal. It is brutal. It is totally, but that is, that is the nature of what we live in. And if you look at it from that standpoint, there is no equality. Like you got this little, you know, got this little piglet running around. Well, guess what? The Guess what? The tiger's going after the little piglet. Look, now that we we're in a civilized society, so we're not running around trying to kill each other's kids and stuff. That doesn't mean we're not biological, and that doesn't mean that those things, you know, that whole that whole ideology of that we're not <laughs> that we've we've evolved to certain things. Well, no, we still have instinctual stuff that's still there. Yeah, and we still live in that world. That is the world we live in. That is that is not equal. We don't, and you see that from you still have. Competitiveness, assertiveness, like um, all these things that make these like Steve Jobs happen, Bill Gates happen. All those those guys didn't just get there because they they were weak or they didn't they weren't ambitious or they weren't competitive or driven or driven. I mean, all that comes from somewhere. That in, in those things, so if you didn't, if you if you had the feminist way, none of that would exist. So what would you really have? If you took away the competitive nature of things, what would you have? Vanilla pudding. 
Literally. You probably wouldn't even vanilla, dude. It'd probably be like the the like Greek plain Greek yogurt flavored kind yeah. of nonsense. Who eats that, by the way? Well, I mean, I think, <laughs> but I think also, you know, this bleeds into, you know, again, are there effeminate men and masculine women, or that have feminine men that have feminine traits and women that have masculine traits? Sure, I agree with that. But this this whole equality of look, I believe in equality of opportunity. I do. Okay, I, I believe you. I believe if you choose to not have a family and you choose to go to school and get a degree in a certain thing, and whether you're a male or female, if you're going into that field, the equality of opportunity should be the same. The equality of outcome is never going to happen. Never. Uh, never. And, and, and let me get, let's go back to your example. All right, perfect. The coyote and the wolf both have the same opportunity for prey. They have an equal opportunity for the prey, for that tiny thing that's out there that they're going after. They do not have equality of outcome. No. The wolf is faster. It's smarter. Stronger. Stronger. More aggressive. You know, more apt for for physical aggression. Built for hunting. The coyote is not. It's a scavenger. It's just not going to be the same, right? So, no, I, I believe fully in equality of opportunity. I am perfectly harmonious about that. I don't think that there's anything that if if my wife and I weren't married and we were both in the same field and she was better than me, then by all means. But that's, again, equality of outcome, not equality of opportunity. And I think um, I think. I think going back to your point about feminism, I think current feminism is an erasure. It's an eraser of things. It's not a augmenter of things. I think the original point of feminism, although still broken and not really sound, was empowerment. I think the current version of feminism is about destruction and erasing things. It's about erasing history, erasing the lines, erasing masculinity, erasing fatherhood, erasing motherhood for that matter, and just turning it into this giant whitewash. And that's what scares me the most is, you know, to argue from a point whether even if you're wrong, but you're willing to have the argument make sense, which I think was the early version of feminism. We want to argue that we can be as good as a man. But the current version is I, I'm not going to argue with you. If you disagree with me, I want to delete you. Here's the thing, dude. We we both would say there's a lot of single parents out there that kick ass. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Right. And and a lot of single mothers, a lot of single dads. We know them. Oh, yeah. They're awesome. Would, would, wouldn't want to be in their shoes for anything, man. I mean, uh, you know, well, with the struggles we've had with my wife's health struggles, there's been a lot of times where I've felt like a single father, dad, like a family, right? Yeah. Cause it's been like, you know, she'd be in a hospital or, um, she's laid up for months or something, you know? Yeah. Dude, it's, that is the, it is so hard. I mean, it's so hard. So I, I want to look. That, that just hats off. I yeah. mean, those people that do that, great. And I don't, I don't mean there's not, we don't, I, neither one of us would say that you can't be a successful parent by 
only having one of you around because you look, it's going to happen. We hope that there's a way for the influence of the whatever opposite gender it is to, you know, somewhere, whether it's a church or, you know, extended family or something has Mm -hmm. an influence on the kid. But, you know, um, sometimes that can't even happen. Who knows? But the thing is, there is a, there is, it is clear that modern parenting results from this distortion of reality in the specifically in the gender roles category or even in gender ideology altogether. So all the stuff you'll read from anybody who's in this, in that ideology, in that ideology kind of thing will be based on that purpose because it all stems from that. It's not about the kids. It's really about how they can achieve this agenda of, gender inclusivity and the non-conformity and all this stuff. And it's just, it's just not, it's just not, it's not real. It's just not real. I mean, even in my own lives here, here's what I like to say. Like my, my parents were pretty, pretty on point when they, when I said, daddy, I want to be Optimus prime. When I was a kid, he didn't go, okay, let's, Let's get you cut up and put some cyborg arms and make you into a, a truck so you can transform into a truck because that's what you really want to do. Yep. You're making that choice. We see that that's you. That's who you really are is this transformer. So let's go. That's, that's really what we need to do. And doctors will say, yeah, he's, you know, and then mutilate me all up. And then I end up having all this lifetime of health issues and can't, can't perform anything like I would be before because now I'm this (laughs) cyborg looking dude who transforms into a robot. And, you know, so no, my parents had enough sense to know that's not, that's not true. Now I did, I didn't have, I wasn't confused about what, if I was a boy or not. I mean, I, I knew that, but I, 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 (laughs) <laughs> I know that I didn't know anything about who I was though until after I even got out of high school. Like, I mean, it took so long yeah. to freaking establish anything, dude. I yeah, mean, I didn't find, I didn't even begin to understand myself until I probably hit my mid twenties. Yeah. Like I searched, I knew who I, again, like you said, I was a, I was, knew I was a guy. I knew my preferences, but I wasn't mature enough to know the impacts that the decisions I would have on my life, you know, those things just weren't available to me. Right. So, you know, to tell someone who's 10, Oh, well, yeah, you are what you say you are. No, no, you're not because you haven't even begun the heavier stage of development to tell a 12 year old. Yes. You now know exactly who you're going to be for the rest of your life. I, in my heart of hearts believed when I was 12 years old, I was going to be He-Man. I am not He-Man. I was a Thundercat for a while. Oh, by I the way. like I, it. I, I, were you I, like Lionel or were you like the... I think so, yeah. All right, sweet. It, was, it had to be well, At least Thunder you picked Man. a good one, right? But anyway, um, you know, and, and it sounds, you know, one of the arguments I've heard is, well, He-Man is a fictional character. So is Brian Kirby the woman truth (laughs) but see the thing but the thing is look let's go back to dad let's look at this from a biblical perspective okay and and i get this from a couple things i've read at school at liberty about 
the gospel and stuff, particularly uh, what was the book? Oh man, I can't remember the King Jesus Gospel, I think, or something like that was what it called. But he 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 explains about how that how the story of the gospel really is and how to compose it. But one and 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 this is echoed in a couple of different other literatures too. But you know the the core beginning of where we fell. So we're talking about in the Garden of Eden. It was out of a an act of being a usurper. That's what we we rebelled and said we want to be like God, we want to be God, and we re- usurped against God. Yes, to do that right, and throughout human history, that's what we've done. We rebel and think we can do it better or we, the same or whatever. The same thing you can apply to this whole thing about fatherhood. Yeah, it's it's a way for a particular opinion to try to usurp the traditional ideas because they think it's better or whatever, but it's, it's the same kind of story. It's not better. It's worse. And there is no good at the end of the tunnel. You end up because here we are, we didn't, we're still human. We're not God. (laughs) We never did fulfill that whole, you know, conquest. But I, I guess that's what I would say is that, you know, tyrannical okay i can i can be tyrannical sometimes i'm i'm there are sometimes when i say absolutely not no you can you we will not do that period but my wife knows that she's not going to argue with me now i'm not saying we don't we get in some arguments here and there but at the end of the day i i get the final say because it's me. Remember, it's and this goes back to our manhood thing. It's me that's going to put my life on the line for my family. It's me that's going to defend the family. It's my body that I'm going to throw out there in front of a bullet or something in front of my family. That's me. That's what I will do. It's me that's going to do that. Well, I'll take it a step further. Um, I answer to God for how I run my household. And, and, you know, I want to read something to you. All right. Second Samuel seven, 14 through 15. It says, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When he does wrong, I'll discipline him the usual ways, the pitfalls and obstacles of his mortal life, but I'll never remove any gracious love from him. That tells me two things. Okay. Immediately when I read it, number one, what my responsibilities are towards my children what my responsibilities are towards my my wife. But the other thing it tells me is that I answer to a higher power because it says in the beginning of that verse, I will be a father to him and he'll, he'll be a son to me. So that's God saying, you're my son. So I am as responsible for rearing you in a godly life as you are for rearing your children to be godly. And I don't know about you, but... I have a very healthy reverence for my savior. So to disappoint him is like disappointing my father. I feel shame. I feel unease, even though I'm forgiven. We all know that we are still humans. And when you, when you were young and and you disappointed your father, that was hard. 
Oh yeah. Because you, regardless of how much angst you might've had or how self-righteous you were at that moment, you still disappointed your father. And this is where I get confused, right? Biblically, I get confused because, you know, I, I hear talk about the patriarchy. I hear talk about, you know, male dominance. Uh, you know, the father is the, you know, I'm the, the word king gets used. And I, I am, I am tasked by my savior to head my household in a way that is in, in the vein of Christ, right? I am the head of my household. That doesn't mean I dominate my wife and I dominate my children. That means I love them unconditionally. And part of loving them unconditionally is being a disciplinarian, is using tempered anger when necessary, not unruly anger, tempered anger when necessary, and protecting and providing and loving and honoring my wife as God calls me to honor my wife. Fatherhood is not a single component thing. Being a man is not a single component thing. And I think that's what frustrates me the most is we get distilled down to this one, one off bad example of one single behavior instead of being looked at in the overall picture of what it is we're called to do. Yeah. And then we're pegged as being bad or pegged as being tyrannical or pegged as being, you know, hyper-masculine or toxically masculine or whatever you want to call it, right? But, you know, being a father is the ultimate act of love. I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to love my wife. We're going to create life. And then I'm going to commit my life to raising teaching and loving my children so that they can go out and find wives and do those things or husbands or whatever it is. Cause you have daughters, but we, we, I guess my question is what is it? What, where along the way did we get put into this single line definition of what we were, right? Cause fatherhood is, is a very deep thing. It's a lot of aspects to fatherhood but they all seem to be ignored in the public um, the public culture when, when it's talked about. It's, it's taken away from its, from its broad spectrum view and it's distilled down to this one thing. What, what do you think causes that? Because it's all of, I think this, I, I think this, the, there's a movement that is to break down what is strong what is um what is good i think there's a movement to break those down mm -hmm. pretty much on a whole level and you get a lot of fancy words and things and pricey thing you know stuff that gets thrown in there to make it look better at the end of the day that's what it is it's just a movement to break those down and you have it's particularly let's talk about the fatherhood thing i think really that comes back to i, I still i still agree with a, a lot of different views on this that the feminist movement is where that comes from the attack on fatherhood because it's 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 this whole well we're it's this i guess this loud minority of women that just 
you know, hate. <laughs> I don't know, man haters. Yeah, I don't know. I guess that's what you call them. Because I, I can know. tell you this, man. My my wife is. I I don't I don't think she's been happier. You know what I mean? It's like, like she's so so loves fulfilling what she can do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she's not the, like this lone creature, a unicorn that doesn't exist. There's lots of them. Yeah. You know? I don't know, man. I, I just, I get, I get, just get bored with it. Cause it, look, we know, and there, there is a problem with fatherlessness. If not having a dad involved makes such a big difference, then if you're doing it this way, you're not going to, you're not going to make that difference. Like if you're fulfilling this whole feminist dad shit, you're not going to, you're not going to do it. It's not going to happen. Your, your kids will not end up being learning postpone gratification. They will not yeah. learn the difference between aggressive and assertiveness. They will, they will not learn the, like the basics of things. They will be the, hyper definition of snowflake they will be adhd they'll 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 retreat into video games because they can't succeed outside of things because look the world's gonna keep spinning and you're not going i mean these people at the top of the food chain are trying to make sure they stay at the top of the food chain absolutely so let me ask you this brian what and you you touched on this a little bit but being being a father yourself, how has that really changed your, I would say, your understanding of God and, you know, just the Bible in general? That's a very easy question to answer for me. It's kind of a twofold thing. You know, when you're a single man or, or even when you're married and you don't have kids, you're the center of your own world. Yes. Right. Um, and, and you're. I don't necessarily, I've never considered myself necessarily to be a selfish person, but I thought a lot about self or just about myself and my wife. And, um, God was this big figure, right? Um, and I, I read the stories. I, I read Exodus and Deuteronomy and all those things. And I'd read the Bible and, and, but he was this mythical creature to me, right? You know, God and Jesus and the angels, it's beautiful stories. And then I remember when Caleb was born and I struggled as a father at first because I was, I was just cursed with this belief that I was going to fail. <laughs> um, but I loved him so much. Before he spoke a word, before anything was said, before he had quote unquote personality, he was my son. Yeah. And I, I all of a sudden understood what being chosen meant. Right. I didn't really understand it before then, but I chose to bring my wife and I chose to bring that boy into the world. And I raised him, he's 15 now, and he, and, and he is a, I don't know if it's that I did something right or I've just been blessed by God, but he's one of the best kids I know. Um, Great personality, big heart, 
just got baptized. I was hyper proud. I mean, the kid is, I mean, he, he literally there's, you know, besides, you know, the, the same teenage defaults that most teenage boys have, I couldn't ask for more, but I, I think I understood at that point when my kids came along, number one, who God actually was to me. Yeah. Once I became a father, I understood him as a father and what he wanted for me, the same as I wanted for my son. Mm. As far as the Bible goes, it gave me better clarity that the Bible wasn't a storybook or wasn't an anecdote or wasn't, um, wasn't a, some kind of fantasy Lord of the Rings type thing, right? It was the roadmap that I needed to guide my son to be a better man. And so that book became very important to me and reading it became very important to me and focusing on it became very important to me. And, and as he became older and older, it just became clearer and clearer. Right. I think there's a, I think that, you know, I don't want to say that the shine's taken off, but I think that the, the veil is dropped when, when you have kids, because I think there is a mystery of our faith that gets stronger when our children come. And I think when that veil dropped, clarity came. Like the, the the picture became instantly clear. Was I changed in the general sense of my habits and stuff? No, that took time to break, right? We did we all we all have to work at those things every day. I still have, you know, yeah. anxiety and anger issues sometimes. It's just part of who I am. But it's taken it's taken that out of me. And also, you know, it, it goes back to this, Reggie. I'll say, I'll say it like this. There's two kinds of tired, right? And one kind is you, you haven't had any sleep. One kind is you don't have any peace. And as a father, I knew my job was to bring peace to my son's life. And I think Christ thinks the same way about us. God thinks the same way about us. Come to me and I'll bring you peace, right? I'll bring you protection. I'll bring you love. And I think that's what happened for me was all the pieces kind of came together when the kids came, right? Before it was this big thousand piece puzzle and I was missing corners and there was a piece over here. I didn't know where it went. But <clears throat> when my son came, when my first son came, Caleb, and, and we'll go into those stories at a later time, but it's unbelievable how God has used Caleb in my life to keep me disciplined directly, like used my son as a conduit for his will to me. Um, but also this, and this is just, I don't know if this is a happy coincidence, but I, I believed in miracles because my son was here. I didn't have a father. I had a rough upbringing. At one point I never thought I would get married. I thought I surely never thought I would have kids because I was like, if this is the life that my kid's going to live, I'm not going to put a kid through that. Yeah. So um, I witnessed a miracle when my son was born because it was the change. And I witness it every day when I see him change or when I hear him do the right thing or say the right thing or be the right person. Those are miracles, man, because those are powers that I, without God, do not have. Right. So I know that's kind of a long answer, but no, man. I mean, the, the thing that being, <laughs> this is, this is kind of why I've rethought leadership a little bit. I mean, because it's like if you look at certain churches and the, the guy's like a pastor, but he's like 22 years old. Yeah. And he's just been married or something. You're like, I, I do. I, I can't 
I can't, it won't happen. I will not, I will not, it's just, no. <laughs> well, but I would be careful. I mean. I, I, I am, but I'm just saying for, for me though. For you this, personally. This is yeah. what I'm saying though. For me, being a dad is, was, it was such a difference in how I saw the whole canon of scripture. Well, let me flip that question. Tell me, you know, I think I know the answer, but tell me how your girls changed you as a father, as a Christian, as a man. What did it bring to you? I'll start I'll start with my my son because it at that point it it didn't. So so this is another instinctual versus learned behavior. When I had my son, I didn't get it it still didn't really perk up but I, but I started to understand what what did start to understand was the discipline part yeah the molding part iron sharpens iron that's what became clear when I had my stepson and and he was now mine and I was trying to mold him and stuff it's like there were so many times man I'm like I don't want to do I I I don't want to ground him for this week or, or I, can't, I can't take this away or you know I remember one time he had done he I don't forget I forgot what it was it was something repeated over and over again. And I said, buddy, look, next time I'm taking one of your video games and it won't just be taken away. I'm, I'll crush it. And I forgot what he did. And he be dang if he didn't do it again. So I walked in and I said, you know, which one is your favorite video game? And he pulled it out and I just broke it right there in front of him, just shattered it. And I was, and I was mad. I was mad at him. I was so disappointed. And I, but I felt horrible for it, right? Cause you're like, I had to do this. Cause, and I, I had to always under, I had to learn to keep my word. And I had to learn to like, if I'm gonna, if I say I'm gonna do something, I gotta follow it up and do it. Yeah. And I have to do that with my girls too. It's the same thing. But so I started learning that part about, cause, cause things in the Old Testament is specifically, I didn't square with until I started learning that, until I started experiencing that, right? Yeah. When I had my girls, though, the the unspoken bond stuff is what started to make sense then, and throughout Scripture, when he's when when God says like says his love for his people, it's like okay, and and then. Throughout scripture, it, they always refer that heavenly father stuff and everything. And like, you know, we're his creation and that he loves his creation and all this stuff. And you don't understand that until you, until you get that, that supernatural, like love with your kiddo when they're born. And that made so much, that changed, that changed my whole, outlook on scripture and and even god who he was and the the crucifixion story um abraham <laughs> i mean gosh all these all these massive characters in the bibles now just made more sense and their stories made more sense well and i, I always tell people you know abraham was my bible hero and the reason is not his bravery the reason was his his absolute willingness to sacrifice everything for his belief so much so that he was willing to sacrifice his son now we all know that god came in and 
stop that sacrifice from happening. But to be so a man of God and have a heart of God that for God to open up to you and say, I need your son. The son that you were told you would never have the son that I blessed you with. Yeah. And for you to willingly knowing, you know, look at Christ. He knew what was going to happen. There were no, there was no veil over his eyes and he willingly laid down his life. The thing you about know, the Abraham story though, man, is I, I, I do fall in line with the perception that a Abram was not at the time thinking his son would die. I think he had enough. That's the faith part. Cause especially yeah. when it talks about his faith. Yeah. I think he was, and I fall in line and I can't, again, I can't remember who, what, who I heard this from or read it from because it's been lots of years, but the idea being that he had enough faith to know that God would either bring him back to life mm-hmm. or he would stop it. And he had enough faith to just go ahead and try to do it, you know, because he had that much faith in God that yeah. that's what was going to happen. Not that I don't, I don't think, because I don't think that's the way God wants us to be dads. No, not at all. You know what? I don't think he wants us to do that kind of thing, but he wants us to have enough faith. Um. And, you know, and again, look, the, the Bible stories, dude, are tough, right? They are. I yes. mean, you're talking about some really, wow, extenuating circumstances, dude. Oh, that yeah. Like, you're, oh, yeah. you're like, what? what? Dude, look at the story of David. Holy moly. I'm like, like, what? What? You're going to go through all that? And then, you know, it's like, okay. I mean, you know, those those are so, like, whoa, stories, really. Mm-hmm. I'm just, you know. It's kind of why I don't pray for like to, uh, like tolerance and compassion anymore because like I I'm, I don't want to get bombarded by people who challenge my compassion. Very true. And, and I tolerance. have enough of those in my life right I'm good, now. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I had never. Pr- uh, yeah. Great advice. Don't ever pray for patience. <laughs> you will. You will then be challenged with it. The for test a long shall time. come. Yeah. Um, part of being a dad. Part of being a father. To, you're you're the you're supposed to be the protector, the logic bringer. I would say the wisdom, you know. And part of that is your wife is there with you, supporting you through the whole thing. That you're not an idiot and thinking you know everything because you don't. And but at the same token, part of being a dad. <laughs> Is being that other voice for your kids that you can you can challenge their scenarios. Your wife can nurture, you can challenge. Yeah. Well, let me be clear, right? And and I want to say this too. We're talking a lot about being fathers, but I'm just gonna take a second to say this. Uh oh, here it comes. My wife is one of the greatest, strongest, most loving, most patient, kindest people I've ever met in my life. She has poured herself into my kids yeah, on a level that I don't even know that I would be capable of doing. Right. And so we're not excluding mothers in this conversation in the sense of we're more important. We're just focusing on this, on our role. Right. So, you know, one of the things that's been, you know, let me, let me ask it this way. Um, 
All right, Reggie, I'm going to ask you a question. What is your favorite thing about being a father? And what's your least favorite thing about being a father? My favorite thing is that is the love and affection I get from my daughters. That when, because they, whatever I, I put a lot into my kids. Mm -hmm. And when they show me that, makes it, I, I just want to do it more. That's probably my favorite thing. It's just awesome. I I don't ever miss putting my kids to bed, like mm -hmm. tucking them in and stuff, dude. It's the freaking I don't know. They come in my office door because usually I'm up here and I'm reading or playing Call of Duty, or something, right? And they yeah. come in, Daddy. Tom tucks in. Yep. And I don't regret that. I'll stop whatever I'm doing. I'll go tuck them in because they. At that they they've got used to me coming in there, grabbing a big old hug, and they giggle and everything else like that. And I love you, Daddy, and all that stuff. I, I can't I can't miss it. It's just it's just it's just awesome. But my least favorite thing is the delayed uh the, the delayed like understanding that you did right with your discipline. Yeah. Because I don't regret disciplining my my kids, but you don't know if you did it right until like way later on when That's they're right. like adults, you know? That's right. And I know this from my son, you know, because like I didn't, you, there were so many things like I, I spent many years and that really bothered me with, with him because through those, those teenage years were so rough, dude. And I'm like, I messed him up. I did something wrong. And then now- I'm starting to see some of those things click, right? Yeah. But it's taking 10, 10 years to do so. Again, maturity, right? Our brains. Yeah, I know. But I'm just saying, but that's that's probably the worst. Because, like, you you <laughs> you have to discipline them so you do it. And then you're like, and whatever that may be, taking their doll away or whatever. But, you know, they're heartbroken. They're crying and they're, all this stuff. And it's just like you feel so bad. Because and you can't show that, yeah. And then you're like, man, I hope that was the right thing. If that's it, you're because you're just looking at it, going, I don't know. I guess we'll find out when they're you know, <laughs> thirty years old. We'll get an answer. <laughs> that's the probably my least favorite thing, man. Okay, so <sighs> fatherhood. How would you describe being a Christian father in the general sense? So I think I think to be a Christian father, you have to fulfill being a Christian man first. Yes, I agree. And then following that, which we haven't talked about yet, would be a Christian husband. Yes. So you, those two things are a prerequisite for being a Christian father. Yes. And that carries a lot. There's a lot there. We already talked about man. It well briefly talked about being a man, and there's a lot there to just just do that. Then you got yeah. being a husband, which brings all this other stuff onto there. And that then you talk about fatherhood. So the specifics of being a Christian father are are like really exemplifying a the loving relationship between you and God that they should follow as well. Mm -hmm. That being, you know, if you if you love the Lord and you're living out that, they need to understand that too, um, and how that works. Okay. So, and that means being a spiritual leader for your family. Absolutely. 
the second part is like just you got to, you know, as much as you're a protector for yourself and your wife as you as the husband, you're a protector of your family. And yes. that's that's clear through scripture as well. There's a reason why Jesus said if you don't have a sword, go sell your robe and get a sword. Yeah. You got to protect what's yours. Yes. Yes. And and really, even your family, I I really consider, look, those are my kids, man, and it's my wife, but I'm stewards. Yeah. I'm not I'm not the I mean at the end of the day, in infinitum, it's God's man. I mean, it's like I, I got them for a while. I'm on Earth, and then after that, He's got it. Yeah, you know. So it's like I got I man, I gotta gotta I gotta protect. I gotta protect God's kingdom and protect what God created. And that's what I gotta do. And you have to also honor the gospel, the blah, blah, honor the gifts that God gave you. Um, we have to honor, you know, my my favorite thing about being a dad, it would have to be seeing my kids smile when they get something that they've been trying really hard at <laughs> right like well, you're more at that age where they're doing yeah. that a lot well i'm, I'm kind of sitting back a lot of times and i'll talk and i'll try to provide wisdom if i can which by the way um young men have knowledge old men have wisdom you know there's a huge difference between the two um wisdom is applicable knowledge is stored and sometimes not used um, that my tomato le- in the yeah, fruit salad is such an awesome thing. That's so great. Yeah. Um, I, I keep thinking about it all the time. <laughs> um, my least favorite thing is the same as yours. Um, it's never fun to take something from your kids. No. It's never fun to to bring them disappointment, even if they've earned it, so to speak. Um, and... You, I always tend to second guess that decision I make, right? Did I say the right thing? Did I do the right thing? Um, one of the advantages of my kids being a little older is I can now sit down and have conversations with them and there's clarity in the conversation, right? Like there's, you know, my oldest is of the mind enough to understand me clearly and know what the expectations are. Um, and my youngest is, is growing into that spot rapidly. Um, but, you know, to be a Christian father, is, is, to me, is a very simple, you know, I am to project God's values in my home. Love your wife, love your kids, you know, pray with them, you know, use biblical and and moral wisdom to help them down the road that they're on. Um and I think a big part of it as a Christian father is to have fun with your kids. It's okay to have fun with your kids. It's okay to have a good time. Um, show them that, you know, faith has joy, right? And I think a great, that's a, that's a great thing. That's a thing that we forget, right? Faith has joy. So when I have a good time with my kids, when we give, when we goof off and we laugh and we go to church functions and we carry on, it's because I want them to see that God wants you to be happy. He wants you to have joy. Is he going to give you everything that you want? No, because that would be dangerous. But God wants us to have joy. He wants us to be a, he wants us to make a joyful noise. And sometimes I think that's laughter. You know, sometimes I think that's, you know, you know, 
singing a song, whatever that might be at that point with your kids, God wants that too, right? He wants to know that our families are happy and that we're, we're living a life that's got joy and fulfillment in it. And for me, that's the biggest, you know, a lot of times a missing peg. And even in, and when I talk to men of faith, when they're raising their kids, they're very solemn about how they raise their kids, right? Um, I try to make it a point to try to laugh with my kids as much as I can. Um, but I've seen these guys that are just like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's just, I can't believe he thinks that's funny. Because it is funny, dude. You know, no nah, offense. Man, I'm going to yeah. say a man thing right now. Farts are funny. <laughs> you know, I, I do laugh a lot with my kiddos, dude. Yeah. I mean, a lot. And I, I intentionally try to do it, too. But I also try to level it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when, when bad stuff or great stuff and the girls are really excited, right? I try to level that, level that out. I yeah. try to bring that, you know, <laughs> down a notch. Yeah. Cause I think it's important to learn too that, you know, yeah, there's some, you, you, there's times to celebrate, but you know, you, you got to keep it under a certain level. Just, I mean, cause I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's all going to die and heat death anyway. So what's the matter? <laughs> What's <laughs> it matter? But yeah, I I, I would say yeah, you got to laugh, man. Well, th- I guess that also plays into the importance of that rough and tumble play, the yeah. rough housing with your kids and stuff. Yeah, man, you got to. That is so critical, so critical. And I can't I can't over emphasize that enough. I'm just thankful that I didn't ha- I didn't. It's something that I didn't do. do I, I'm sorry. It's something I didn't not do with my girls. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know, but when they were little, they just, you know, you're like playing with them, you're giggling with them, throwing up in the air and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And they're like, <laughs> just, I about choked to death when I was talking about it, but they're like just giggling and laughing and all yeah. this stuff, you know? And it's like, yes. You know, now that I read about how important it is, I'm like, well, at least I did that part. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like those times I was tossing Caleb and Dylan up on the couch, you know, great. Yeah. You know, I did something right yeah. as a father. Um, you know, one of the things I would, I want to make, I want to, this, I think it's time that we encourage some men out there. Um, well, hold on before we do, before <laughs> you, before you go there. Okay. And I think part of that encouragement, but, but let's just say this, dude, fatherhood is hard. Oh, for sure. Okay. Let's just oh, make that sure. abundantly clear. It yeah. is hard to be and, and here's here's another key fact here you're gonna mess it up oh for sure you are going to screw up train wrecks but but man kids are resilient now look we're not talking about beating your kids or like oh i screwed up and got drunk and you know did this or that no we're not that's not that's not what we're talking about just look you may say the wrong thing you may you know not discipline your kid the right way for something or yeah. whatever. But look, at the end of the day, you're trying. Yeah. That's the most important part. If those you- <laughs> statistics that we have for fatherlessness mm-hmm. do not say, well, if you have a father that is doing 92% of the stuff right, they do better. No, you yeah. just got to be there and be you just got to show up, dude. <laughs> you just got to show up. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Um, it's difficult in ways if you're if you're having an easy time being a father if you're just like woo this is great you're probably doing it wrong <laughs> and that's not a knock on you dude go back and reassess but i 
but it's hard in the most rewarding way. It's hard in, in a way of it forces us as men to develop ourselves, right? It doesn't, you know, one of the things, you know, what's the old saying? Nothing's worth doing if it, nothing easy is worth doing, right? So if it's hard, obviously the challenge is there, but it's rewarding in the, in the best way because eventually you will find your rhythm as a father. Yeah, now, I mean, it may not, look, you may still make mistakes, but yeah. eventually you will find your rhythm as a father. Look, there's, right? there's some, I think there's some guys that are really just, it's a gift. They are yeah. gifted to be dads, dude. Yeah. You have the tools to do it. I yeah. guess that's what it is. I mean, look, we're, we're men is focused. This is my advice. Be a man. Be a man first. Yeah. Figure that out. Mm-hmm. Be a man first. Yes. Then a husband. Because it takes two to have kids. Yes. So whoever that other person is, let's let's be the husband. Let's figure that out. Be the husband. Because you're not going to be able to be that dad until you're a man and a father or a man and a husband. Now, okay, if they're, you're not married and you're a single father or something, okay, I get it. But I'm just saying those two are really important first. And if the husband part doesn't work because of there's not another individual, okay, but let's let's be a man first. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Then focus on the father part. Because the man part, if you're a man and you just care about your kids, you're like almost there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. Well, I mean, I, you know, the thing I would say as an encouraging thing would be, you know, as I've always said, Surround yourself with wise counsel, right? Surround yourself with wisdom. Um, I had to learn this. And and I, I don't say this as a brag or a, or some kind of a badge of honor, but when my kids came along, I had to trim the fat a little bit. I had to take some people out of my life that weren't really going to be useful to me in that vein, right? Um, they were living a different lifestyle than I was living, um, you know. And, and nobody where I, there's any harsh feelings, you know, at least on my side anyway. Um, but I had to start surrounding myself with people that were capable of helping me learn more about being a father mm-hmm. and a husband. Um, surround yourself with wise counsel. You know, again, knowledge is stored Wisdom is application of knowledge, right? So, you know, if you don't have knowledge and you don't have wisdom, you must surround yourself with people that have it so that you can attain it. Um, you know, along that lines, yeah, a modern thing to do as a dad is don't put everything about your kids on social media. Oh. Don't do it. Absolutely. Don't be don't be that guy who posts everything you do with your kids, who posts every every little like mistake they make or like all this stuff on online. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Just you you there there is a time and a place, but like keep it to yourself sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you don't need to put every daggone thing there is on social media. Well, you know, it's okay to post, you know, from time to time, Hey, here's my kids, family photos, something like that. Right. From time to time, that's cool. But also there's a, there's a degree of, I want to say common sense about letting the world know what you're doing when you're not home, when you're home. Yeah. You know, 
I think that falls under the whole protection thing, right? Like, exactly. I don't want people to see and know and be able to take advantage of my inability to keep privacy in my home. Well, you don't right? want them also like, you know, you're throwing up all these pictures of them, you know, making a mistake here or, oh, look at him being goofy. And it's like constant. And when they get older, you got all this stuff floating around the internet with like every single thing they did. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. And we live in a time where, you know, people will use those things against someone. Sure. And they'll take them out of context and they'll put at, apply things to them. Yeah. One of the reasons why social media is out of control right now is because there's no punishment for misinformation. No. So you can be a keyboard warrior, take a picture of somebody's kid, create some kind of, you know, ridiculous, insulting meme out of it and post it and pay no consequences. Um, so the less that you put up about your children, and it's not that I'm not proud of my kids. I'm ultimately proud of my children. Both of them. They make me, I mean, they make me proud daily, but you know, it, it just doesn't make any sense. There's no logical ends to that. That's, you know, unless these are those parents that think their child's going to become some kind of influencer and they're trying to, you know, pre post a lot of stuff to give them outside of that. You have no reason. And even that is just, it's just dumb. There is never an Instagram influencer or a Facebook influencer that has ever made me go, Oh, I should change something. No, I mean, now I'm not, is that, am I saying nobody has ever changed from the better from hearing someone's story? Well, that's what testimonies are. Yeah. Right. I believe personally in the current church, our biggest weakness, every church is the lack of using testimonies because I believe that's how we connect people to God in a, on a ground level way. Well, when you yeah. hear somebody's story, you know, it's, you can, and, and it's nothing against a sermon. You can hear a sermon on Michael or a sermon on David or sermon on whatever, right? A sermon on Luke. We know a lot of those stories, right? And, and, a lot of that is very hard for us to take in and internalize and turn into a way to drive forward. But when someone walks up on stage and they tell me their story and I hear their story, man, this is what happened. This is the path. I found God like this, these through, through turmoil, through all those things. That is what, makes me understand clearly that God is working in our world. And, and there's nothing wrong with giving a testimony on Facebook. Hey man, my name is so-and-so I'm a Christian. You know, there's nothing wrong with going on there and praying for somebody or, or asking for prayer. But when you're just out there posting your lunch and you're just, well, out, look, you know, I, I, I don't, look, people can post all kinds of stuff. I'm just saying with your kids, look, yeah. you know, you want to minimize your kids internet presence. Because it's going to get, it, they're going to maximize it as much as they can yeah, anyway. Yeah, they're they're going to be required to eventually. Yeah. I mean, I don't even want to get into the whole digital currency and yeah, yeah, all the yeah, things that yeah. are probably coming down the road. Well, but let's, let's, because we're probably at the end of our talk here, but let's, one, one, one thing I would want to tell people is that I watched The Sound of Freedom. Oh, yes. 
and I would recommend everybody go see it. Like everybody. It's so well done. Excellent. It's just an excellent movie. It's really heavy. I ain't going to lie. That was, that stirred some stuff, but you know, I, I was hyper protective of my kids before, but, uh, I've amped that up <laughs> since I saw that movie, but you know, we, we need to, I, I, I think the more everybody's aware that that's really going on and that's even, exponentially gotten worse that we should all be aware and try to do something about it. Cause we don't look, I, I, I fully will stand behind God's children are not for sale. And the, the, what they do to these little kids, man. Well, you know, you know that starts with know your kids, you know, know your kids tendencies, know your kids flat spots, know where they're vulnerable. Right. I get to know my my boys as much as possible because not only do I want to know them, but I want to know where I need the antenna to be up even higher, right? You got to know, you know. It's not just that, though, dude. Like, yeah. But the this 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 gender ideology nonsense yeah. is part of the problem. Well, it's and going it's, to it's be. Just, it's just fueling the perversions that are out there. America is the top consumption of child sex material, dude. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, like what kind of sicko does this? And here's, here's my big, here's the big thing here. What made me really mad. And I mean, I'm, I was freaking pretty pissed off when I was like, when I first saw sound of freedom, I'm like, I did not think anyone would have a problem with highlighting yeah. a, a, a child sex trafficking problem. Like, what? This should be something that no one has a problem with. It should be like a plain, oh, man, it, we should all get behind this. Yeah. And then you had Rolling Stones and uh, the, the Guardian or and all these couple of things put all this crap and these articles about how it's QNN. Man, look, you can shove that so far up your ass it comes out the other end because that's bullshit. You you are just so mad because it highlights the the idiocy and the heinous crap you're spewing about. Ooh, be be whatever you want. Mutilate your kids. No, piss off. No, leave the kids alone. Stop it. You're leading to this and that's actually making it worse. And if you, I mean, I'm telling you, dude, there's what you, you want to talk about one thing that'll make me freaking violent and I'll physically <laughs> hurt a kid. Yeah. Hurt a damn kid. Well, See what happens to you. Here's the thing. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, I'm going to issue an open challenge, Reggie. Are you ready? I challenge anybody who watches this episode who thinks there is an argument to be made for not protecting children. You're going to be our first guest. I would, I would do because, but not because I want to hurt you, but I really need to understand in what fathomable world that it is a problem for a movie to be made that's not about relationships it's and it's not it's about not something political. political and it's not a useless comedy and it's not a bunch of garbage. This is a movie that's that's sounding an alarm on protect your kids. You should instinctually wake up in the morning 
with the thought to protect your kids. You should go to bed at night instinctually with the thought to protect your kids. You should walk through your day instinctually with the thought of protecting your kids. And for someone to stand up and go, yeah, no, this is all conspiracy nonsense. Get out. I don't know where you're going, but you're not here. Closing time. (laughs) Tabs over. You can't stay here. You got to go. Pedophilia is now a bad word. Yeah. It's now minor attracted people. Yeah. I don't care. You're a pedophile. You're a pedophile. I don't care. You're You're evil. You're a sicko. If you think that violating a child and taking their innocence away is okay, you don't deserve the ground you're standing on. No. And and this normalization of this abhorrent behavior, it, it, it and, and I use the word abhorrent because I can't use other words because my wife will get mad at me if she hears them on the podcast. But this abhorrent, evil, <laughs> horrifying act of violating a child, uh, I, I can't even, you're not human if you think that's okay. You're not human if you think that the destruction of innocence is in any way a palpable moral way of doing things. You are so lost. You are so far off target. You are so far away from just being a normal human being. I cannot even calculate it. I, I would seek I would seek counsel quickly. I, I look, I, I just there's you know? no debate with me, man. I mean, look, there's a lot of things in a political spectrum that, even though I've ten, I, I've gone away from political ideologies and stuff, but you know, you can debate certain things about tax reforms and you know economics and you know uh, stuff like that. But when it comes down to stuff like you know uh, gender theories and um, sexual behaviors and stuff, I, I'd really I'm. I'm I, I'm close-minded. I'll I'll be flat honest with that one. I'm, I'm I am. There's no. I have a strong opinion that's based on nature and biology and facts, and that I will I will not sway from. Yeah. yeah. So I and I find it um, repulsive and sick. And I'll tell that to you if you think that otherwise. But you know, being a dad is all about there's some there's a part of like the world that's nasty and gross and you you know you got to shield your kids from that stuff as a dad for as long as you can because there's there are but at the same token raise your kids up to where they can be prepared for it now that doesn't mean you should go out there and let them like experience everything i don't think that's true either i'm very much the more i lean on more protective than i do more freedom yeah absolutely and i i don't i don't I don't, I won't be judged that at all. So for me, I'm just going to say that the sound of freedom was a freaking awesome movie. And I thought it was excellently done. The acting in it was for superb. The cinematography was superb. The, the, the way they, at the end of it, they, they transitioned to like the real film that they made of the thing. That was cool. Cause you got to see like actual footage that was like filmed during the whole daggone operation and everything. And, it's just it's just a great movie and you should go see it and i would if if you read or i would actually say if you pay a subscription to anything that says something that that was a conspiracy theory piece cancel the subscription move on that's yeah. what i would actually yeah. tell you that's how disturbing that crap really is to me yeah so anyway look, right. we we've 
we we hit a lot about fathers, and we just look. We're here because we are. We are fathers. We are husbands. We are dads, and you know, um, we we take it pretty personally, and we take it really seriously, and um, we're here. We're just here telling our piece about it. Later yeah. on, we'll get into specifics, though. I mean, this is just yeah. an overview. Again, of it. just an overview. But you know, sort I think of. let me give you <laughs> a little. I'm going to give you a way to look at us here at the end. Reggie and I are not against anyone in the sense of wanting to force anyone into our ideology, our ideology of how things are supposed to go. I've said ideologue a lot. Though. I have too. I can't get that word out of my mind it's right? like all the time. But um, we're an example of two guys from varying different backgrounds who both believe in a loving, supportive, forgiving God who wants us to be good men, who take care of our families, who who work in our communities, who who give of ourselves freely, um, and spread a word of love and and growth and happiness. Uh, Christianity is not shackles, man. It's freedom. You don't know how how much freedom you have to be able to hand it off to God and say, you know what, God, I'm not strong enough. I'm gonna let you carry it. Um, and that's coming from a couple of guys who specifically are pretty strong dudes. Um, but at the end of the day, this, we're just fathers who love our kids and we want the best for our kids and we want the best for our families and we want the best for your kids and we want the best for your family. You may, you're not going to get it all right. I guess that's the thing. You're not going to get it all right. You're not, you're not going to be that, you're not going to be perfect, but try and, and try and try to make a legacy. And it doesn't have to be a legacy of anything other than a strong character yeah. or, or or just having a moral backbone or yeah. whatever. I mean, but I'm just saying, look, be a man, be a husband, be a dad. Don't don't worry about what all the other nonsense out there, because honestly, they have an agenda. There's a reason for they're doing that. You don't, you don't have to be that way. Yeah. So be well, be men. We'll see you next time.